Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Maybe it's because we're journalists and people set upon us all the time in social media and email, but I just don't get the number of times we see organizations in Northeast Ohio get upset about criticism in social media. It's one of the stories we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Leila Tassi and Laura Johnston heading into the weekend, the last weekend of January. Can you believe it? We're, we're a month away from the month when spring begins. Let's begin. Do the folks at Cleveland Cliffs need to thicken up their skins? Laura, what unusual step is this company taking with regard to criticism it faces on social media? Well, I guess it's not so unusual for Cleveland Cliffs because this is the second time they've done it in a year and at least the third time they've done it in a decade, but they're trying to sue an anonymous commenter, someone on the Yahoo finance message boards who keeps commenting about the company and their CEO, Lorenco Goncalves, and not even saying the worst things. I mean, I haven't read all 3,100 comments that this Boolean searcher has made on stocks and other companies that range from online sports betting, uh, like DraftKings to 3M to Cisco and Costco, barely, very very prolific commenter on Yahoo. But what they said about Cleveland Cliffs, Cleveland Cliffs wants to unmask this person so they can sue him or her for defamation. And and one of the things that this person said was they claim the only reason Cleveland Cliffs maintain a high public evaluation was, quote, the hope that it would be bought or a better CEO will come in. How is that defamation? Well, the the problem with defamation, as we well know, you got to be able to show you were harmed. What, True. How in our earth has this company been harmed by somebody ranting and raving about them on social media? And it's sinister. They're going to the court to unmask the anonymous commenter because it's getting on their nerves. What? What? It, just let it. What's the point? Let it go. Are, are you not? Are you so weak in your self esteem as a company and as an executive that you can't tolerate criticism? I just don't get it. We we dealt with this with the Beachwood Police a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Actually, the Andy Geronimo talked about this for our story. This mm-hmm. is stupid. It's it's part of life. Is that. Sometimes you put up with some stuff that you don't necessarily like. I don't see any way they can prove how they were damaged. They can't show their stock price was affected. They can't show their personal lives are changed. So the court should reject this out of hand because like like the First Amendment Center said, you don't take the drastic step of unveiling an anonymous commenter unless you have full probable cause. And part of that probable cause is how do you believe you've been harmed? Right. The First Amendment protects anonymous speech. It protects criticism. And 
if you're a public official, the bar is that much higher for defamation. You have to prove that you've been harmed. And that's part of life as a public official, just like in the case of Beechwood. In this case, Western Reserve University law professor talked about that and said, I don't think there's any damage here. The thing is, this has already happened once before. The company used the same tactic last January to identify three users who made similarly critical comments. Judge Sherry Madej granted the request, ordered Yahoo to hand over the account information to Cleveland Cliffs to identify the commenters. They filed a defamation and libel lawsuit against three men, and it was settled out of court in August. Yeah, look, I, I think I, I have a weird perspective on it because I get attacked all the time. I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago about mm -hmm. the anonymous uh, comments about Grace Gallucci and how writing stories about that without evidence is defamatory. And a bunch of people who washed out of journalism a long time ago got on social media to just rip me apart. And, and you know, it... <laughs> Yeah, it's false. It's nonsense. But who cares? It doesn't do any harm. It doesn't even make you feel bad. So I just don't get why somebody who has weathered the storms to rise to the head of a gigantic company like this is so worried about somebody taking cheap shots at them. Right. This is the Yahoo Finance message boards. I didn't even know Yahoo had message boards anymore. Like it feels like a throwback to the 90s or something. How many people are seeing these comments? And right, I mean, they don't even seem like they're that critical and mean-spirited. And what the case professor said is it's hard for me to think the CEO of a major company is actually having his reputation affected. Yeah, I, I on hope the, the court board. squashes this very quickly. This is wrong, and and they really need to but put their focus it, elsewhere. Doesn't it worry you that it already happened once? Like, I don't remember reading about this the last time, and maybe we didn't make such a big deal out of it, but it seems really worrisome that there's a precedent here. Did they? But th did they get it last time? Or yeah, they got they got it, no. and they sued, and they got a settlement. Now we don't know what the settlement is because that's not part of the public record. But they they got the names. It was it was a judge that said hand it over. Wow, I'm surprised. Although if that went to the Ohio Supreme Court today, they would do the wrong thing. So that's maybe true. that's what they're counting on. You're listening to today in Ohio. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine issued regulations for transgender care before the legislature overrode his veto and installed their own draconian rules. Layla, what do healthcare ethicists have to say about the government butting into medical decisions long left to doctors and patients? So we know, as you said, the legislature has overridden DeWine's veto of HB 68. So gender affirming care for all minors is banned. But in trying to find a consensus that might have staved off that veto override, DeWine proposed a series of additional regulations. And those also apply to adults seeking gender affirming care. So Gretchen Kudakroen spoke to a bioethicist who fears that the new requirements could really jeopardize patient privacy prevent doctors from sharing information with their patients, and deny adults the right to make independent decisions about their medical care. Under the new law and DeWine's separate proposal, regulations would require that doctors treating transgender patients report all the procedures they perform to the state. They require that all gender-affirming care providers have a contract with a psychologist and an endocrinologist, and that all patients require a care plan that's reviewed by a medical ethicist, which it turns out isn't even a thing. And if we're talking about a bioethicist, those are really few and far between. So the regulations also prohibit care for anyone under the age of 21 without a comprehensive psychological evaluation and treatment for a minimum period of six months. 
the bioethicist took issue with 21 being the age that DeWine chose here because, of course, 18 is the age at which one becomes an adult. So the upshot here is really that health professionals are already bound by standards for best practices in transgender medicine. And these new regulations don't align with those standards. And the fact is that so many other kinds of care, including the use of hormone therapy to treat other conditions, are not regulated by the government. So doctors are generally saying the government needs to stay in its lane and stop trying to to govern the decisions that are made within the relationship between patient and doctor. So the reason we went ventured into this is because we've long known that there are procedures that people long have had to get counseling before they do. When bariatric surgery started, and to this day, uh, if you want to get that surgery, you have to go to counseling. You have to change the way you govern your life before they'll do it. And when DeWine wanted to put in some similar rules, we wondered, is this unprecedented? Is this something best left to the doctors to deal with? And what we generally found is, yes, that the government really should not be sticking its nose in here, that the best practices developed over a century or more has been the health industry knowing what's best. Well, I think also it's true that that there already is counseling. These best practices for, for gender-affirming care already include those kinds of things. So to try to dictate what that looks like from the level of government is just ludicrous. I completely side with the, uh, with the bioethicist on this one. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost did not mince words in rejecting the latest iteration of a so-called voting rights amendment that some people want to put on the ballot. Laura, what was wrong with this version? The title was misleading because it's called the Ohio Voter Bill of Rights, and that was a change from the, quote, secure and fair elections amendment title that Yost already rejected last month. And he said very clearly, this is misleading. He said it's become commonplace to use the language of advocacy and advertising on initiated statutes and constitutional amendments, but at least on the formal ballot, the language should be as neutral as possible. There's a whole lot of people backing this amendment. Well, organizations, the Ohio Organizing Collaborative, the Black Civil Rights Groups, uh, like the Ohio NAACP, they issued a statement saying they thought they had addressed the issues that Yost raised last time, which were more substantive than just the measure's title. They're still aiming for the November 2024 ballot. They're going to come back. But I I don't disagree with Yost on this no. because, yeah, it, it, right, it, it, this is a, a controversial set of ideas that would change voting and just to call it a bill of rights is is yeah it's wrong and he's exactly right he he blasted him i mean i don't know why they don't just call it you know an amendment to increase voting opportunities you know in some counties or something i i mean i i don't like what they're doing and we've talked about this this getting rid of a photo id is a bad idea and it's going to lead a lot of people to say this is this group trying to put fraud into the equation and if they get to successfully target this, it'll also hurt the gerrymandering amendment, which we very much need. I wish these these folks would stop. Just stop pushing the stuff that is going to offend the common sense sensibilities of Ohioans. You shouldn't be able to register and vote on the same day. Boards of elections don't want that. They want to be able to do some things to make sure you're a legitimate voter. And everybody uses voter ID for just about everything in their lives. To take away that requirement does create 
the belief in some people's minds there's fraud and they keep bringing mm-hmm. it back and they keep playing these games their re- their release in response to yost was was total nonsense he's right they made it look like a bill of rights and he very carefully said that you are not creating a right because you're allowing a board of elections to have more ballot boxes that's not a right that's not something a voter then gets the expectation to so this was as phony as their first one i just wish they'd rethink it well and i some of their ideas are good right increasing the number of ballot the boxes where you could drop off your ballots um, in Cuyahoga County, you can only drop off at the Board of Elections right. downtown Cleveland, and that's kind of can be sticky in, in traffic. So some of these are good ideas. Some of these people are going to have real issue with, like registering to vote and casting a ballot on the same day. They're things that we should talk about. I think they're legitimate ideas. But you're right, in this very partisan political atmosphere, to loosen up voting when people are already claiming there's fraud... I just, it seems like a bad idea to make this an, an amendment. We, look, we've had the photo ID requirement for a while. It, it's not causing the problems. We only had registering and voting on the same day for a few years, and it didn't, it was a bad idea. It was not the way we should, we should go. They want automatic registration for people. Mm-hmm. That, uh, when you get your license. That's a right? great idea. I mean, I, I think some of what they want to do is a good idea, but as these groups on both sides often do. It's a ridiculous overreach. And they're just not being careful in what they're submitting to Yoast. And Yoast is being careful in how he discerns it. Let's hope round three, they are showing some temperate and some respect for the middle of Ohio, which wants common sense rules. These are not common sense rules. Yeah. You wonder what's happening behind the scenes if people are calling the leaders of these groups and saying, can you just step back and do this in 2025 because you're messing up what we're trying to do in November because there are so many competing factions and you're you're going to confuse people and and maybe turn <laughs> turn off people from other ideas. Well, I'm hearing from people anonymously who claim to be a part of this that are yelling at me because of what we say about it, but oh well. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. After the Cleveland Museum of Art shrouded Native American artifacts and remains to comply with a law enforcing sensitivity in such matters, Art critic Steve Litt visited what then seems like a tone-deaf display of mummies and shrunken heads at Playhouse Square. Layla, what did he have to say about it? Steve has done all kinds of terrific and provocative reporting this past year about the movements toward recognizing these ethical quandaries and, and the cultural disrespect that can occur 
when you display sacred artifacts from indigenous peoples without consent or or the display of antiquities that might have been looted from ancient societies. And this piece really fits right into that discussion. He's talking here about Playhouse's, Playhouse Square's Mummies of the World exhibition. This is an iteration of a 13-year-old traveling exhibition that debuted in 2011 at the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. It's right now at the Corner Gallery, which is a remodeled ground floor space at East 13th Street and Euclid Avenue. And it claims to be a very serious-minded effort to share scientific discoveries But Steve really keys into the sensationalistic aspects of this exhibit, and it really left him feeling kind of icky about the whole thing. He asks the questions, is there a statute of limitations on our empathy for the dead? When is it okay to display the bodies of the dead and in what context? He says that the exhibit is a dark and spooky installation and has a creepy haunted house soundtrack. (laughs) And there are more than 125 artifacts and human and animal remains in various stages of shrinkage, desiccation, dismemberment, and physical exposure. You'll see Egyptian coffins with the lids lifted so you can see the mummified remains. There are what they claim are Amazonian shrunken heads and the skeletal remains of what they say is most likely a 1,000-year-old Incan wrapped in a rope basket. And then there's also the naturally mummified corpses of a 17th century German baron and baroness. So in the context of this ongoing debate over how and whether to display cultural and sacred objects from other cultures, Steve says in his piece, Mummies of the World raises really difficult questions about which human beings from which cultures deserve understanding over whether their rights were violated in some way on the journey from death to a display case. The 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 idea that this is a Playhouse Square throws me. I just don't get what Playhouse Square is thinking. This has not been their provenance. They are all about shows and entertainment, and they bring in this kind of creepy, weird thing, as Steve so perfectly describes it. They have a new director down there, Craig Hassel, who came from, from London, where he was doing all sorts of big things. And he said this was in the works before he got here, but that he did greenlight it. And I didn't understand his reasoning. I, I, I would have thought that based on him coming in new with fresh eyes, he would have said, what are we doing? This is creepy. Do we really want to do this? Yeah, this sort of reminds me of what is that other exhibit the uh, where they they take well actually uh, I want plasticized talk, bodies. Yeah, no, but I want to talk about that because Hassel tried to differentiate that, saying I would never do body works, but there is a huge difference in body works. They the the people have all donated their bodies to science, and for people that want to understand how your body actually functions, they put those plasticized forms on bicycles and and doing handstands to show how the muscles might be contracting and moving. So if you're interested in in anatomy and how the body works, at least these folks donated their body and this is set up so you can see how the muscles and tendons operate. I was surprised that he was taking a superior position. I would never do that. I think that's actually more acceptable then digging up people that were buried long ago to put them on display for entertainment with spooky haunted house music. I think they're both distasteful. And I guess I, I didn't see body work, so I don't know the scientific value of it. But I, I find it hard to believe that you would actually learn how the body functions by looking at this cross-section of it. I did go. And I did think it was illuminating in seeing the 
flexion of the muscles as they're on a bicycle. And But that was also years ago. Our understanding, I feel like, has changed so much just in since the pandemic about what's, you know, discrimination and derogatory to people. Like, can we can we think about that? Like, this started in 2011. There was a very different idea of what was proper. And Steve addresses that in his piece than 2024. All right. Well, I guess people will go buy tickets and check it out for themselves with the spooky music. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Are people texting while driving? What is causing this? How many times have people crashed into ODOT snowplows this winter compared to all of last winter? Laura, we talked about this about a week ago, but it's gotten worse. It has gotten worse. And literally, I cannot comprehend why people are hitting snowplows. They're big. They have lights on the top. It's snowing. You should be going slow. This is not rocket science. But we're actually at 16 crashes so far for the winter. We had a a snafu with it yesterday. Our reporter misunderstood at one point. And so we had 22 up, but it's actually 16 for all of the, this winter that compares to 26 for all of last winter, which is still really high, but we are approaching that. We've only really had two snowstorms and we just, people have spinning off left and right when they hit these 2,500 pound plows. And that's just the plow part. The video that we had posted has the big plow, parked in on the side of the road and on the right is an entry lane to the highway but there but it's clearly off the road the plow is inside the shoulder line and the big old uh, uh, car suv that hits the plow crosses the line smacks the the plow blade and goes spinning off into the future and what i what i thought i saw basically that's somebody texting who's all over the road and that because, you know, you have to cross into the shoulder to do that. You're not supposed to cross into the shoulder. Why do you cross into the shoulder? Because you're not paying attention. My bet is they were texting. Okay, but who is texting in a snowstorm? We are. I mean, I don't understand it. It feels willful, at least some of the ones I've seen where they are trying to get around it, like the people who try to beat the train across the tracks, like just don't do it. It's a terrible idea. And I don't know what people are thinking. Yeah, In this case, the plow was on the side of the road. Lights are flashing. You could see it from from the glare and it was off the road. So this person really had a to do something to hit it. It's, it's bizarre. I don't, and I don't understand how you wouldn't notice, like you said, these behemoths on the side of the road. But if you're immersed in texting, you're not paying attention. If you are driving when there is a plow on the road, it means the roads are bad. Yeah. Like, can we just make it? So you should be going extra slow, extra cautious, two hands on the wheel. You're listening to today in Ohio. Lisa Garvin has mentioned this several times, that the debate over Delta 8 THC products for sale in stores reminds her of the debate over bath salts some years back. The Supreme Court of Ohio yesterday dashed the hopes of a man serving what seems to be an unreasonably long sentence for selling bath salts before Ohio even outlawed them. Layla, why won't the Supreme Court let this guy file an appeal? Well, the court unanimously found that this former owner of a convenience store in Columbus, Suleiman Mubarak, already had lost his appeal to uh, his 35-year prison sentence in 2017, so he couldn't appeal again. 
And so the bath salts was that was the term that was used for synthetic drugs that are were designed to mimic or cocaine or meth. They were marketed as bath salts to kind of circumvent anti-drug laws. Police arrested Mubarak and two others in 2012 for selling these products, and a jury convicted him of four counts of drug trafficking, three counts of drug possession, and a count of engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity. But as Mubarak has argued for years... Ohio didn't make bath salts illegal until months after his arrest. Mubarak's argument led the Ohio 10th District Court of Appeals in the Columbus area to overturn Mubarak's conviction in 2014, but the Ohio Supreme Court reversed that decision in 2016. They cited a section in state law that was in effect at the time of his arrest. Back then, the high court said that although controlled substance analogs were not specifically illegal under the uh, under the state criminal law. A different section of civil law said they would be treated as a controlled substance for the purposes of any provision of the revised code. So after Mubarak lost that appeal, he tried to get his conviction overturned through a different legal maneuver called a writ of mandamus. And that was what the court rejected this week, saying that he failed to meet the criteria to do that. This seems like a common sense argument that it, it wasn't illegal and right. and and the in one of the dissents said this if the law really had made it illegal and and allowed his conviction they wouldn't have needed to pass a new law to make it illegal exactly. so clearly there was confusion about it 35 years is more than people get for murder in some cases it just seems like a gross miscarriage of justice the supreme court had a chance to bring some common sense and sanity to this and instead, they've ruled unanimously the hell with this guy. He's locked up for pretty much the rest of his life. Right. Yeah. Judge Michael Donnelly dissented with that exact argument and said, you know, if the law were clear at the time when he was arrested, the legislature wouldn't have had to later pass this law banning bath salts. So, you know, he said, you know, you might not like that he did this, but at the time, it was not explicitly illegal. And yet, he's still going to serve out the rest of his long, long sentence for this. I'm kind of surprised that because they could use that civil law, whatever it was, to go after bath salts, they're not using it to lock up everybody that's selling Delta 8. I, I did, this is one of those stories that I think takes confidence from the public in their government. Uh, th this is wrong. He shouldn't be serving this kind of a sentence for what he did. And the law was confusing. He should be allowed to make his case. And they're playing with technicalities here to deprive somebody of their liberty for much of their life. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The sale of airplanes in Ohio must be a booming business based on what state Allen will say Ohio would lose if a state senator gets his way in exempting the sale of planes from sales taxes. Laura, what's this dispute about? Well, you can guess that it's a booming business, but nobody has any idea how many planes are sold in Ohio every year. So we're having this discussion without knowing exactly how big of a problem. But if you own a private plane, you can skirt Ohio's tax rolls because of this flyaway exemption, which you fly to another state that does not tax your transactions to seal the deal and then fly back. So you leave the state in your airplane, you finalize your sale, you fly back. And the Legislative Service Commission, that, that's the group that collects the policy research for lawmakers, said they don't have any source of the number of aircraft sold in Ohio or the pricing on the planes, but they think that it'll cost tens of millions of dollars a year with 
quote, substantial variability from one year to the next. So I guess it depends if you're selling a little prop plane or you're selling a 747. I, I was stunned that they think it would cost that many millions of dollars because that would have to be a fairly substantial sale of planes. Uh, it seemed like they might be exaggerating the impact. And it does sound like the legislator's right. There's an enormous loophole. Just take it out of state, sell it there, and then you don't pay taxes anyway. It's an interesting debate. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The sale of airplane tickets is booming. We know that. What are the official numbers for Cleveland Hopkins International in 2023, Laura? The airport welcomed 9.9 million passengers in 2023. That's 14% more than 2022, just shy of the 10 million travelers in 2019 before the pandemic shut down air travel. We talk about air travel on this podcast a lot, I feel like, because we're always getting new routes that are being added. And that big one to Dublin, Ireland is huge. That started in May. New flights to San Juan, Puerto Rico on Frontier Airlines. We just talked, well, I guess it's, Akron that's getting another one soon. But United is actually, even though we talk about the budget airlines all the time, United is the biggest carrier in Cleveland by passenger volume, 2.4 million travelers, 25% of the total. And it's going to add Phoenix and Las Vegas in March. And you got to think that in the spring, those are going to be two very popular destinations. I, uh, I've avoided flying since right on the eve of the pandemic, but I have to get plane tickets for the summer. I'm dreading it. I hate air travel. I hate the way you are a second-class citizen. The airlines own you while you're on there. And now it sounds like they're going to be crowded as well. Uh, I know both of you have been in airports since then, but it's good news for Cleveland to have the traffic back. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Tattoos, video games, and LeBron James. This lawsuit has it all. Layla, what happened Wednesday in a federal lawsuit brought by a Cleveland Heights tattoo artist who says the popular video game NBA 2K stole his tattoo designs for the game? Well, U.S. District Judge Christopher Boyko sided with the video game maker and said Cleveland tattoo artist Jimmy Hayden did not have legal claims of infringement for four of his six tattoos in this lawsuit. The four tattoos that were dismissed were on LeBron James, former Cleveland Cavalier Danny Green, and current Cavs forward Tristan Thompson. Hayden owns Focus Tattoo in Cleveland Heights, and his studio was a favorite among some NBA players. Boyko ruled that the case can go to trial in April on two other tattoos that are on James. One is of a shooting star of shooting stars on his shoulder. And one says Gloria, which is the name of his mother, and it, that's above a lion and next to a crown. And in dropping the four tattoos from the lawsuit, Boyko found that Hayden had improperly omitted information from his copyright applications when he failed to note derivative work that he used. That included a Venetian casino playing card that James brought to Hayden for inspiration for this tattoo and Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel depiction of the creation of Adam, one of, of Thompson's tattoos. Hayden also didn't properly register his copyrights on the four tattoos before he submitted this lawsuit. For two of Green's tattoos, Hayden failed to submit photos of Green's arm to the U.S. Copyright Office. The tattoos incorporated work by unknown artists of a scroll and fire. So I'm curious to know what you think about this, Chris, because I, I mean, I was kind of under the impression that not all intellectual property needed to be copyrighted. So 
so uh, closely, you know? Well, We talk about this all the time in terms of our usage of of stuff. Well, the difference here is, I mean, anything you do is automatically copyrighted. If you register the copyright and somebody uses it, they get a lot more money from you than if you don't. But in this case, what the judge seems to be saying is they wouldn't have given him the copyright because he did use derivative work. Somebody from the copyright office said that. Uh. So, so it's a little bit different. What I'm thrown by here, because you know, like you said, we think about this a lot. We ran a lot of photographs of LeBron James over the years in which you could see his tattoos. Is that a rights violation? And that, well, that would be a nightmare for any, anybody who's ever covered an NBA game with LeBron James, which is everyone. So but in our, in our training on this topic, wasn't the rule of thumb that if you were taking photos of LeBron James and not specifically of the tattoos, the tattoos just sort of are part of the, mm, the image? I don't and know. You're using it for news purpose and it's LeBron James. So this, this I don't know. This makes me a little nervous because I could see it changing. It's like the public murals. Everybody thinks the right. public murals are public domain. They're not. And you but have again, to be... if you're taking pictures of of an event that's occurring outdoors where the public mural is within view, that's different than if you're taking pictures of the murals of themselves. Mm, you're not completely, though. If that mural is readily visible, we have to be careful. There's all sorts of bizarre rules that are coming about. I mean, I got another one of these claims yesterday. We got a AP photo from something in France in 2015. The French ministry released a photo of a cop with a rifle and some France thing. We ran a wire story and the bozo who took that picture has this firm out trying to get money from anybody who ran it when we had an absolute license for it through the AP. You know how much time we have to spend telling these places to go stick it? I mean, I had to do all the research, figure it out where we got the photo, all because some random bozos trying to get extra cash out of his photo by sticking people. It's infuriating. So should we we be blurring all of the tattoos on NBA players in our right. I mean, this is that's frightening. I'm going to have to talk to our lawyers about it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for Friday. That's it for the week. We hope you have a great weekend. We hope you'll come back Monday for another discussion of the news. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thank you for listening. <laughs>